What's going on? It is Wednesday night. This is Track Chat with the most known unknowns. I am Coach Kyle Stevenson of Georgia State University. <laughs> Lamont Johnson, a.k.a. Megatron from Johnson C. Smith. The alchemist, he barely made it by the hair on his chinny-chin-chin. And we have a special guest, Coach Ann from St. John's University. Olympian. All right, I'm surprised that you don't have the title next to your name. So, you know, I'm, I know. I'm looking at your name. I got you covered. I got you covered. Don't worry about it. So thank you so much for joining the show. Uh, before we get started, I'll let Stamps introduce you because I think he has a cool story as to how you all met. So Stamps, you're on. All right. All right. All right. So it was 2001. And uh, we went, we were blessed. You know, we got that good old uh schedule poster at the beginning of the year it was where hello okay we got a schedule post my bad i'm sorry hey just a fyi everybody uh, i would you know this is for lamont real quick my android won't flip the screen so we got small technical difficulty but you know you bear with us you love us we still got to show with you bright and ready so back to the story um 2001, we saw on our schedule post we was going on our spring spring break trip to the University of Miami. So we had all had that circled up, make sure our beach bodies was ready. Um, we had went to nationals that year, uh, and uh, when we came back, you know that, that people to qualify for nationals, you know you can you can kind of test or fill out that first meet. Uh, we would we'd go down there for about 10 days. We'd do a meet one weekend, and then we'd go up to Tallahassee to Florida State and run the other meet. Um, and that's when we were all like really supposed to open up. So we ended up staying at this Days Inn about maybe a, two miles from the University of Miami's campus. And this was this one day we were just kind of chilling in the courtyard. And I saw this, this, this young thing climbing the palm tree, scaling it up hand over hand, foot over foot, like she was in her native country about 30 feet up, pluck a coconut, bring it down, and, you know, you know, taking her coconut to her room. And we was like, who the hell is this? And uh, of course, I had to go meet that young lady who eventually uh, throw down the, the elbow heard around the world for the 400 Indoor National Championship to one of the Barber Twins. Uh, and she went ahead and won that national title from a mid-major at the University of Manhattan. And we've been friends ever since. Every time I went to New York, she looked after me, took care of me, is one of my best friends out. And and I allow her to use me as an able-bodied technical slave, technical director of her of her uh, of her meet that she does every year uh, down there in Guyana. So that is how I met Alian, and, and that's how our friendship. Uh, there we go. It's a beautiful introduction. So let's start there. Let's start with the elbow heard around the world and then take us into your take us through your athletic career. Now, your career as a coach as well. OK, so the elbow I'm guessing heard around the world is the NCAA um, championship indoor. Um, I was at 2000 um, with Mickey Barber, right? <laughs> who I love now. Now we're good now. We're okay now. So she she'll be okay with this. Um, 
But I mean, it's the 400. It was coming down to the wire. You got to do what you got to do. And I felt like I needed to win. I had to do it for the culture. <laughs> you know, South Carolina had all these wins already. They wouldn't mind if I took this one. Um, so apparently she suffered a little bit. I don't remember. It wasn't until Hassan brought it up later. was like, yeah, you elbowed her. I, I, I don't personally remember it, but I'll take it for what it is. I'll take it for what it is. Um, since then, I went on to compete at four Olympics from 2000 to 2012, four consecutively. And then in 2016, Guyana made me one of the coaches for the team. So I was there um, as part of the staff. Um, <clears throat> I competed in a bunch of world championships, indoors and outdoors. Um, I won the <clears throat> Commonwealth Games in 2000. Um, and I was the first Guyanese woman to do so. Um, and then in 2010, I followed up with a silver medal, well, actually a bronze in the race and some, the second place contestant or the second place medalist got disqualified for um, a drug, of, a doping offense. Um, and I got to say, because it, it's an ongoing thing um, with our sport, um, people testing positive was that her positive results were done at the test. So they did a really good job of testing. They waited for the results before we, um, even left actually got my medal there and you know how they do they hang it up there's a tree where they hang up the names of the medalists so mine said silver even before I left and you know I'm really grateful for that because a lot of people don't get that opportunity to be celebrated where they finish um, at the competition so that was something that I was happy about. I have the Guyanese national record in the 400 indoors and outdoors. I used to have the 200 that's gone. Um, I also have the South American 500 <laughs> record. And you know, it's weird. I never used to talk about that. Um, but since all my records are falling now, it's one of the things that I can still hold on to. So I'm like, yes, I'm the South American 500 meter record holder, something that an event that we don't too, run too much in the. Um, South American region for this reason, especially indoors, but I have it still. Um, and so that's essentially me. There we go. Well, you know what? I, I just told my athletes this Friday, records are meant to be broken, but titles cannot be taken right. away. All right. So, and with that, um, and so I'm not so not sure if you've seen the show before, but we also we'd like to educate some of our non-track fans that may be watching. And for those that may not know you. Um, you've had a great run, Commonwealth Games and Pan Am Games as well. And so for our non-track fans, all they know may be are the Olympic Games. Right. But you have a medal both at uh, Commonwealth and Pan Am. So just how important are those meets when you're from a country like Guyana? I mean, it was, it was huge for us. Actually, when I won the Commonwealth Games, we had a whole like week-long celebration for me. My, my dad went up, some of my family members went up. Uh, they had a motorcade. They had a parade. Um, I got the keys to the to the city, or equivalent of the keys to the city, um, our capital, of Georgia. So for Ghana, it was a huge thing, right? Um, and then being the first woman to do so, our our only other Commonwealth medal or gold medal in athletics came from um, 1934, right? So it's 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 big. It's it's our you know at, at that point it was like our Olympics really. So it, it was a very very um, big deal. I say it did energize me to do a whole lot more 
um, and to kind of bring um, some notoriety to Guyana. Um, and Stems will tell you, I always say this, like we had the athletes, I was not the most talented athlete or the most talented athlete when I was growing up. When I was in school, I, I was not, you know, I was a non-factor. I was a non-factor like you couldn't believe. I couldn't even beat my younger sister, right? So I was felt that we had the talent there. It just, no one really stayed long enough to kind of um, see it get further for a number of reasons. You know, it's it's not our biggest sport. It's a culture thing and women in sports and how long women and girls stay in sports in Guyana has always been something um, that we discussed. But I was, I was nobody. I was not considered a talent. And even now when I go, people always say, remember I used to beat you or remember you weren't, you were slower. I wasn't slow. You were just a whole lot faster, you know, um, and I was able to develop it. But, um, you know, that's one of the reasons I still stay involved with the sport, um, particularly in Guyana. Okay, so tell us about the the invitational that you created. I know I know about it. I never got to run in it, uh, but I know all about it. So share share the details. Um, so it was something that came about when I was trying to figure out how I can best give back. Right, I was I was really really fortunate. A lot of people looked out for me. A lot of people did really nice things for me. Um, and when I, even when I was still competing and then towards the end when I, when I was retiring and then essentially retired, like I would give money for up and, to up and coming athletes. I would buy tickets for them to get to competitions and different things like that. I would try to get them here, um, equipment. If somebody needed a massage, try to arrange it. Um, but I didn't feel that was enough. Not, not necessarily that it wasn't tangible, but it just, didn't seem like I was doing everything that I could possibly be doing. Um, and so the idea for the meet kind of came out of me trying to do something different and do something bigger, something lasting, right? Um, so I spoke to, at the time, the director of the sport. Uh, we had a change in government. He's now the chief whip in parliament. Um, and I talked to him about it. And he was like, this is a great idea. We have to do it. And I think it was one of those things where dreaming and timing and everything just comes together because it was the 50th uh, anniversary of our independence and everything was just working and added to the calendar. And everybody that was important just kept saying yes to things, you know? Um, and so we ended up um, doing the meet for that year. And I think everyone, thought, everyone except for me, thought it was going to be a one-off thing. Um, but I had a bigger vision for it. Again, I wanted to sh showcase the athletes that were um, there in Guyana. <clears throat> and we're a big track fan country. Like, you talk to a Guyanese track fan, they know everybody from every country and every event, stuff that we don't even run. We don't have, you know, steeplechasers, but they, they're, they're just fans of the sport. Um, so that first year, we had an incredible showing in terms of supporting people in the stands. Um, and so the next year it just got bigger and bigger. Um, a lot more sponsorship came on and we were able to do it. We actually this year got on the um, IAAF Continental Tour, which was, you know, for us as a country, huge for us. 
and in all my post uh, competition interview, you know, when they're asking me about it, and I say it then, and I'll say it now. It's it's not my thing. It's it's our thing. This is um, a legacy that we share as a country, you know, because um, we had it not been for the pandemic, we would have had a fifth year. And you know the phenomenon that's going on around the world. We're seeing less and less needs. Um, track meets haven't been as sustainable as they should be, and and there's just less opportunities for athletes to compete. So to have a competition in South America that's just growing every year, and people are coming out and supporting it, and 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 you know um, putting it in such a positive way, it's, it was really really a great thing to experience. So yeah, Lamont, let me ask because I want to bring you on Stamps in. So just last week we talked we talked about how track is whack, but we were we specifically looked at it domestically. But then when you look at it outside of the U.S., track isn't whack at all. So no. with you having such a phenomenal invitational, I want to throw the question out there for you all to discuss. What do you think is missing? Because you've been able to pull it off in a small country. And I've heard all about it. Like Kaji has told me about it. Stamps has told me about it. Um, so why, what are we missing here in the States to have something of that magnitude? This fool done took my question. This is what happens when you work together. We supposed to be asking those questions, but go ahead. But go ahead. But that, that was my question. So go ahead. Um, what's missing? I don't, I don't know that, um, I don't know. I, I just feel like the U.S. is kind of saturated with, with so much, you know, so much entertainment um, that it's, on any given day, it's really hard to choose what you're going to do. If you're not involved in track and field itself, um, I don't know, there's, there's a huge marketing for basketball and football and everything else that you see around. So I think that, that that's the draw. You see it constantly and, you know, you see how interactive um, their market is and you kind of pull towards that, I guess. Um, and there are some elements to that that I use when I was marketed it in Ghana because I felt like, you know, I'm probably in the first year it wasn't streamed live at all. There was there was just you gonna have to wait till this meet is over, and then we're gonna get the results certified, and then we're gonna take pictures of it and then post it online. And when we get back to the hotel, we're gonna download it, and then you can see it. But for me, it was important to get the people there, um, and some of them were people that the Guyanese people would see on TV. And like I said, there's a it, track and field is huge for us in Guyana and, and the Caribbean in general. So if you, you put on a meet, you're gonna draw people. Like um, track and field runners are celebrities, right? They're they're like what Americans look at basketball players as. Yeah, that's true. Um, you know, these two, they always trying to throw shots where they where, where they live at. And you know me, I'm not I'm not the one, I know better. That's that's their that's their forte, whatever. Um, once again, I just think you know the reason why everything is celebrated outside of these borders is because of the investments. And at the end of the day, you know, we gotta remember we live in America. We we like violence. And what's the most violent sport on the American soil? Well, football, you know, 
that's what they like. They like fast paced stuff, you know, but it goes back to what, you know, Stamson and, and, and Kyle said uh, a couple of weeks ago, you know, maybe we need to dumb down. Maybe we need to dumb down the amount of events that's being ran. Maybe we got to figure out a way how to make the meet more compact. You know, not me personally on the college level, I'm against it because it's college. You know I mean? It is what it is. It's a necessary evil, but on the elite level, I could definitely see that happening. Um, I think outside of Oregon, there need to be a little bit more investment with the track and field facilities. Um, you know, you know, in order to get the spectacle that we need, that's going to attract the attention that we need. I know when Bev Kearney was coaching at Texas, I mean, we go to Texas relays. She got Destiny's Child out there. She got Eve. She got, right. like, I mean, she got all these people there. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you know, we on the track, you know, this is me post collegiate. We on the track warming up. And you realize that you only a couple of meters away from Beyonce. <laughs> it's like, ooh. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And Kelly Rowling and all of them. You know, I I didn't realize how fine Beyonce was until that one Texas relay. Yeah, she she's bad, but oh, that's, that's, right? that's yeah, yeah that's yeah that's neither here nor there. Don't judge me. She she's I'm I'm a, I'm a member of the Beehive. Um, so I, I'm a self I'm a self admitted member of the Beehive. I'm pro- I am probably the COO of the Beehive. Um, so official position and everything. I'm, I'm yeah I'm the COO of the Beehive. No one no one can talk about my queen. All right. That's that's wow. that that's the one, but um, but seriously, I hope, when, I hope Amber comes and slaps you upside your head. <laughs> she probably will. She, she probably will. I, I, I probably and she probably will. But um, but um, but real, but real talk though, it's um, when you got people with that kind of connection, and I think that brings that that brings more excitement to it, you know. So somebody like Drake Relays, you know, they're mid America, but they got to kind of get with the towns a little bit, you know. The pen relays always had celebrities in and out of there, but I think they got to do a better job of cleaning that infield up where they can highlight the celebrities that come to the meet and come support the meet. Mount Sac, when when I was in junior college, uh, Mount Sac, um, I saw before he passed, I saw Will Chamberlain, um, Tiny Lister, who I didn't know was an alumni of my junior college, and he and he threw the disc and the shot from Long Beach City College. Oh. Anybody who don't know who Tiny Lister is, that's Debo from Friday. Um, you went to State L.A. NCAA Division II champ in the shop. Yeah, and and he's he's a graduate from Long Beach City College. And then you had, you know, you've had um a multitude of celebrities that come out that 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 used to come out to Mount Sac and sit down and watch the meet and have a good old time, you know. But I think right now, I think right now, um, we gotta, you know, we gotta catch up to the rest of the countries out there if we want this to be successful. And so some of these administrators, let's be real. There's no real track and field venue out there that's track and field only. Everything belongs to a university. So, you know, instead of, you know, putting another $3.8 billion dollars into a scoreboard in the football stadium, which they already got 10 of them, you know what I'm saying? They don't need 11. Maybe you could put that money in to making sure that, you know, track and field can get their venue up to par and we can start doing things and, and, and getting, the, getting the notoriety that it deserves. Because, I mean, everybody knows us. There was a time where the dual meets used to have 50,000 people in the stands, man. Yeah. Like, you just go back and go look at the old photos. You know, Auburn versus LSU dual meet used to have 50 grand. When Coach Glance was running for Auburn, they packed out the stands. Um, um, the triangular meet, USC versus LSU versus Oregon, that used to sell out no matter where it was being held. 
So those are things. Those, those are things I think we need to do here in the states to get this place yeah. to get I mean, this, this where this it needs to be. Has been going on for a while, right? And even at the highest level, like the uh, um, World Athletics, I keep wanting to say IWF, they've been trying to figure out how to market a USATF. Everybody's trying to figure out the the IWF. Yeah, I brought. I brought <laughs> you know, when you were talking about the dual meets, it, it reminded me that one of the points that came up is that people didn't run from each other. You know, it, there was some back and forth duels. It wasn't as important that you were just undefeated that season, right? And a, after a while, that's what people wanted. That's what the big athletes in the sport wanted. They wanted to be undefeated versus, you know, matching up against someone that might beat them. You know, um, and so a, a lot of power went to the athletes, which is good. Um, and I think just just in some little way, we lost as fans, just lost a little bit because we didn't get to see as much of those head-to-head competitions. That so you bring up an interesting you bring up an interesting point. And at the time that you were competing uh, at the highest level, we were still kind of seeing it, you know, from Sydney. Yeah, from Sydney to Athens, you know, then somewhere after Athens leading up into Beijing and then London, we're no longer like seeing those head to head duels as often. I know me as a track fan, when I am a track fan, we don't see them as often. So you're in a unique situation of being a me director, a me creator, you know, being a coach and have competed at the highest level. What do you believe? started this new trend of people dodging each other? Um, I mean, I think one of the things is however their contract might be structured, um, you know, it, it might be in there somehow that, that that's a thing um, that, that you get bonuses based on, on that. Um, and I think, Someone get at me for saying this, but I think one of the mental lasting effects of of that is that it puts you kind of in a less than ideal space when it comes to the world championships or something like that, right? So if if you run and you're winning every every race, the way you go into a world championships might be different than if you you know you're lining up with Miller and she's beaten you every time or she's beaten you every other time and now that's sitting on your mind um and even even with my my win at the nca that was an undefeated year for me i didn't duck from anybody but every race that i was in i won and i spoke to the reporter afterwards and and he was like wow what a surprise did you expect i was like yeah i've lost the race all year why wouldn't i win now um you know (laughs) in my my head it was like the most natural thing to say. I, I didn't know all year. Why would I come here and lose now? He's like, it's the NCA. And that was our whole interview. It was like, it's the NCA. Why, why, why would you think no one would beat you here? But I, I think mentally when you're going in a, into a race, you you want to go in with that free mental space. And I think um, for some people, some athletes, and, and more than just a few actually, is that they need to go into a world championship not having lost, having all these wins under their belt so they remember what that feels like. Um, and hopefully it happens there. Um, but a lot to be said for being battle-tested, for lining up against people and having them beat you and figuring out 
how you can you know do it a, a lot of the races that we like to watch over and over again is people losing and then coming back in and changing right. the results in the but I also think that you, by bringing up that really amazing point, herein lies one of the potential issues and why fans aren't as interested. Because at the end of the day, if, if there's not these, you know, bloodbaths of you kind of don't know who's going to win or this great rivalry that was created with, you know, you think back to Donovan Bailey and Maurice Green. Uh, Taylor and Maurice was coming up as Donovan was, was going down. And then the Michael Johnson, Donovan Bailey, like, you're right. Like, you know, it could be contractual. But again, that's the, you know, when, when you know, we in one of our past episodes, we talked about how these races that were happening because of contractual obligations this year and people was out there jogging. I'm not as a fan of the sport when I am a fan of the sport. That is petty to me. Like that, that doesn't do anything to help a sport that's trying to get viewership or get fans uh, if and when the results that they check on. Like that's what makes track whack in my and in me and Kyle's perspective is, you know, the this this arbitrary thought that, OK, yeah, I'm not trying to get hurt. I get it. You know, yes, the shoe companies should realize we're in the middle of a pandemic and, and, and lessen some of their, their their rules. But also, well, hell, if you've been training more or less, then go out there and, you know, do what you do, what you do. So you really see where you're at um, and go compete. Just compete. You, you know, on, on the flip side of that, um, it probably also has a lot to do with the money that's no longer in the sport right. overseas. So, for example, if you know Usain Bolt's coming to the meet, everybody's running for place fees because you're not getting an appearance fee because he's gonna he's gonna command between two hundred and fifty to half a mil just to be in the race. So now, wh- wh- who does that who does that leave in there? And now, if you notice that it was very rare that you saw a race where you saw Tyson at his best, Bolt at his best. Gatlin at his best, Asafa all in lanes three, four, five, and six. Yeah, yeah. Like, you, like, like you don't see, and then not to mention, not to mention, if you want to take 20, you want to take 2011, 2012, then you got to include Johan Blake. So that's five lanes. Oh, right. No, all world and Olympic champions, it, all between all five of them, with the exception of Asafa. Asafa is, I always say this, Asafa is the greatest 100 meter performer, performer. You have to pay him because at the time he could break the war record at any given moment until it went to nine five nine five eight to to it went to to, to uh out of space somewhere so you know no one was gonna beat that record but you had somebody that was able to go out there and run nine seven nine six you have multiple nine seven nine six guys in that race so how do you pay them and I think that's where it came into play I don't think they were ducking but if I know I'm the 2011 world champion. And you're the twenty, you're the two thousand nine world champion, and you're a world champion in two hundred meters. But this guy's the two thousand seven world champion. Yo, you got to pay me accordingly. You know what I'm saying? And so if there's no money there, and I think that's where it became. It looked like it was ducking because most of the athletes wasn't saying anything. Well, yo, reason why I'm not in me because they wasn't going to pay me. If they would have all kept saying that, I think we all would have been good. Let me interrupt you real quick, please. So. Alian, in your experience as a meet director and as an athlete, like when you start thinking of the fundamental process of putting on a meet, are you 
do you think that it would be more viable to nix the appearance fees and have a grander pot? Have a grander pot mm -hmm. for who potentially wins? Is that plausible? Something that has ever been talked about or discussed? Because it is mind-boggling to me that money has to put out for somebody to show up essentially right um and and actually that's funny because it's one of the premise for the new structure of the uh, continental tour that the world athletics have in place so that they have the different levels um and the way it's structured is that each level that you're in is based on your prize money right so one of the things that they actually did talk about is or certain levels making appearance fees go away. And that's across the board. There's no appearance fee. This is what the, all the money is going to go to the prize money. You want the money, you, you come and win it. And honestly, I, I feel that that's good in a way because it gives me direct to some kind of something to fall back on to say, well, this is why we're not doing it, but we're able to put the money in these events. Um, and then within that, you can structure so or there's a little bit more money in, in certain events. But I, I do think that it would it would help and it would give um because um you, you know with also with the new qualification system for the games and for um the world championships because it's the high level meet now athletes have to compete at these meets right you can't just run your time at home and at a local meet and that's it. You have to want to get into these meets. Diamond League only has so many lanes. So there's still the opportunity to get quality athletes at, at the bronze and silver level. Um, Can you explain real quick? Because I'm going to be super vulnerable and open right now. I don't know how you qualify to the Olympics or the World Championships no more. Could you break it down for the people that are slow like me? Um, so... I mean, it, it, it's essentially like the old way, but it, it, it's using more of a combination of a ranking system as well as a performance system. Um, simply put, that, that that's the way it is. There is a time qualification. Um, you have to run within that, that time qualify, that qualifying time a certain amount of times and which ranks you and that's how you qualify. All right, so what's the qualifying time in the women's 400? 51 something. All right. Are we, let's just are, are, are we, are we, talking, are we talking worldwide or are we just talking about her country in particular? No, we're talking about the Olympic Games. Yeah. Okay. This is a, okay. Yeah. All right. Let's say it's, let's say it's 51 right now. So, so typically in years past, if you were from a smaller country and you've hit that Olympic A standard one time, that would guarantee your slot in the meet. Right. Now, uh, Right. There's still a good chance that it would. Right. Because, you know, if if that's your time, like especially for a small country that might not have um, a lot of athletes, you could be the quota. athlete. So there, there's also along with that and no one really talks about it, especially when when the standards got more difficult. Um, that's what everyone focused on. There's also a minimum, a minimum quota standard for the game. So they're going to have. I believe it's at least 64, but whatever the number is, they're going to have a minimum number of participants in the event. So if you don't make that time, then they go down and find order list Right. So, the, I mean, it, it, it sounds complicated, but the whole purpose of it was kind of to preserve the universality of the games and 
not too much. And this would have been the real test of if it works or not. But when you look at it to see if it would actually change the old way of doing it, to see if the people that would have qualified under the old system, if the, those would be the same people that would have qualified in these. And, and I think, like I said, we lost a really good opportunity to see that. But you, know, you can check that out next year and see if it's still the same or very similar. Because I think track and field, we're number one in, in, in this and in this alone. Y'all tell me, I'm, I'm asking this to the entire panel. I think track and field does the, the best job in the world as an athletic organizational professional sport at confusing everybody about how it's supposed to operate on every level of the court. Yes. I, I agree. Yeah, I don't, dis I don't disagree. I don't disagree. I, we're all track fans here. We're, we're, we're kind of trying to figure some things out. Um, I don't disagree. And I think the average person just looks at kind of, okay, who finishes first? And right. maybe there's something redeeming about that person or, or if they're, you know, busy on social media or whatever their personality is that they follow, that then they're attracted to that. But outside of that, it's just, you know, how fast you finish and who does it first. Gotcha. Gotcha. So enough of, I mean, I think we've like beat the, the track, not even track is whack, but, you know, trying to make the sport better, promoting, right. you know, me right. and everything right. like that into the ground. Uh, let's switch gears just a little bit, but segueing from that, because it appears to me that you may have a pretty good career as a meat director. But why did you decide or why are you still uh, coaching in the U.S.? Let's go there. So why are you deciding to coach in the NCAA versus you could be in your country right now? and just trying to really push the sport as much as you can, like making that be full-time? I haven't ruled that out either. Um, the way I got into coaching, I was working at a um, college access program in the city um, that I started. I started working there before I retired. And um, maybe two, three years in, I really missed being close to the sport. And so the opportunity to coach opened up. Um, and I, I went to St. John's. This is... This is going to be my sixth year there, and I absolutely love it. it. It's truly the closest thing to actually competing, and sometimes I forget I'm not competing, but they are. Um, and just as much as I like seeing um, records fall when I was competing, I like when they break um, records. So it became really, really addicting um, and just really enjoyable. You know, I, like I said, it's very close to competing. And that's one of the reasons that I like it. And, and, and also it's something that I can improve on every year. I can get better as a coach every year, right? I can be more educated. I can fine tune uh, my methodology in certain things and get more out of my athletes. I learn about, you know, psychology of different levels of athletes. And, and that's all interesting to me. It's very, I get very, very involved in coaching um and so i kind of found a way right now to do all the things that i want to do which is you know take that track and field and guyana to another level um as well as continuing to coach and be very close to the sport and i don't think it's a it's a mutually exclusive thing you know um being in guyana and taking the sport to another level um, versus coaching in the U.S. because right now I have two Guyanese athletes on my team that are doing pretty well. So 
I'm still able to create opportunities. I'm still able to create opportunities for Guyanese, um, Guyanese women. I say specifically only because St. John's only has a women's program, but I'm still able to create those opportunities by being here. Um, and as well as plan this meet and continuing to. And Hassan's been to every year, I kid you not, it's gotten better and it's taken a lot of work. And I, I do get a lot of good help. Like Hassan does everything, like he was helping carry the hurdles um, when, once when we were shorthanded. So it's, it's getting better every year. And I, I, again, I don't think being here hurts it yet. You know, it might get to a point where it gets to that and I would have to choose between doing this or that. Um, but, you know, in the meantime, I have really good people that are involved with the meet. I have Teresa, who's the assistant meet director, um, Stamps, I have Desmond, I have, you know, I have a couple other people um, that are there in Guyana that are learning along the way. Um, you know, and this is usually the time where we're planning for next year. It's been a little bit tricky because I'm so sitting here and I'm getting text messages and WhatsApp messages from people with the meet that are like, we have this, or what if we do X, Y, and Z for next year's meet and things like that. So, um, the short answer is because I don't have to. I could really have my cake and eat it too. So that's that's what I'm doing right now. No, nothing is wrong with that. So this one, this is really we're all very passionate about the women that are still in track and field, oh, yeah. uh, whether being an athlete, administrator, coach. So did someone? Do you have a mentor that is a woman, or are you a mentor? to other women, younger women, or someone on your staff outside of just your current athletes at this moment in time? Um, I have I have both, um, you know, and <laughs> sometimes, and Stavis will tell you, sometimes I feel like I, ha like I have, um, like something's wrong with me. Every Everything that I want to do, I go ahead and do it. Um, along with coaching and doing um, the things that I'm doing in Guyana. I'm also the president of the Pan Am Sports, our Pan Am Sports Athletes Commission. I sit on the IOC Athletes Commission as a result of that. And for the ANOC Athletes Commission, um, I'm heading the segment on women in sports. Um, and th those are all things that are very close to me. And, you know, someone can easily be like, well, how are you doing it all? There, there's a certain amount of intersectionality, right? It's still all sports um, and sports related um, and heavily it deals with women. It deals with sports in our region. So th there's some intersection. So it's not as much um, as it sounds. And so I have mentors in different areas. Right, I have men a mentor on the administrative side, and she, what, that one in particular is the president of the Grenadian um, Olympic Association. And then I have someone else that's a coach. Um, and so the the different areas that I feel like I can excel in, um, and it's a little bit difficult because there aren't too many people doing everything that I want to do. But I make sure that I look up to people in each field that are doing great and try my best to learn from them. Um, and I want to make sure that that doesn't stop with me. Right. Go ahead. I have, um, Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. Um, um, I had, and Hassan knows her, the assistant meet director for my meet used to be my athlete in college. And then she quit the team, but 
I said, you know what, we can use you as a manager. Um, here's why you'll make a great manager. And she ended up being my manager there and went on to work for me um, for the meet. And to this day, she's still still doing that. She's still working with the meet. Um, and when I worked in education, I had a, a mentee in that program as well. And I just try to make sure that, again, it just doesn't stop with me. I've benefit, benefited a um, from other people's kindness and other people's generosity, and that's helped me in my journey. So I want to make sure that um, I do that same. You know, she's see what I was going to say was she's fundamentally what you call a chameleon. Uh, here, you know, when I was in London, you know, we got to hang out, and you know, I always, you know, me and her have just been great friends, you know, for almost twenty years now, close to um, or approaching. Um, and it is as I did, met in 2000. I wasn't in college in 2001, sir. It was 2000, 2000 not 2001. Sorry. So, but what I realized when you just mentioned the stream of people, it just it, it brought me automatically back to like one of our uh, staff meetings in Guyana and how like you would ask me, well, with the technical component of like how the meet needs to be run of, you know, setting this up and then, you know, Dez helping out in the spots that he's helping out, Teresa, your timers. And it was just kind of cool that everybody that she had there that was there to support her had like this niche thing that they took care of that she didn't have to worry about. And I think, you know, it's very similar to like our our makeup as, 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 a, as a track, the track chat, you know, I think she's she's done a beyond phenomenal job in her professional career. I'm always, you know, bouncing ideas off her, or asking her things on how to handle things. And she's she like us has been in situations because of her 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 versatile nature to where people are like, well, you know, you're only one person, you can't do all these things. And with her, you know, amazing ear to ear smile. She was like, well, watch me. <laughs> and, and then, you know, nothing else, nothing else falls off by the wayside. And then the people that are supposed to be, let's say, uh, strategically above her per the corporate ladder or corporate structure of entities, she's, she has also, she, she, she carries the same brand we have as far as intimate intimidation. And, you know, she's had to, Learn through the ropes. I, I remember, uh, you know, just early in her coaching career, you know, she just expressed like, why, why is it like this? I'm just trying to help. And I'm like, wait, baby girl, this, <laughs> you, you gotta, you gotta, you know, move a certain kind of way. So they know that you're just trying to do the best job for their program, you know, cause it's very hard to not see her star power. If you know what I'm saying, but work, uh, within the fabric of, you know, any university uh, that is, you know, lucky enough to have somebody like her. So it's just, it's been super cool to watch her rise and to be a part of it in a small capacity. Um, and I get to go get energized in the uh, vibranium lake of every summer I get to go. So they got a Wakanda over there. She'll let you know. Hopefully, hopefully can the, can the track chat, can, can we have our podcast Next time off the ground, can we have it in the stadium? Sure. Can we get the press, some press seats? We, I encourage it. I encourage mm -hmm. it. You'll love it. 
I'm ready. I'm so ready to come down there. So I have a question. What, in your opinion, what do you think it would take to get a second Diamond League meet on U.S. soil like they had in New York, like we've consistently had in Oregon? What do you think it will take to have another Diamond League meet on the on the East Coast or something? I like how you pick Ma. Money, really. Um, it, it, it's not like the athletes won't come to New York, right? I, I think outside of maybe well, Oregon and, and Penn Relays are a big draw um, crowd-wise, but in, in New York, they used to draw a pretty significant crowd. I mean, the last meets that they had, um, the Reebok Grand Prix that they had in Randall's Island, I was there, and it was it was always um, packed. Like you you couldn't build enough seats for it. Um, so I, I think money um, is an issue, and I think timing as well too, because I think it started to, um, if I'm not mistaken, conflict with some of the beats in Jamaica, and I, you know you can't compete with the beats in Jamaica. You know that that's where people will go. People will leave wherever they are to go to watch those meets. So I, I I think maybe money. Um, it does take a lot to put a meet on in New York City because of the security nature of the city. Um, I know there's going to be a lot of permits and things like that involved. So um, having some political inroads would help as well. Is there, do you know? Do you know why? The Reebok Grand Prix meet stopped happening. By chance, I don't. I don't. I was just curious because I remember it being a well, staple, and then it just it just evaporated. Yeah, I I don't know if it. Well, the the same people that do that meet are the ones that do the Boston meet. So I don't know if it just switched locations to Boston, or uh, you know if it's. Ooh, I got a question, uh, Kyle, Kyle, and Mon. I think y'all appreciate this. Okay. What have the the what has the distance frontier? Uh, 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 what are they doing right, and how come sprints, hurdles, jumps can't get it right? You want to go first, Lamont? I want you to go first, Lamont, because you track ain't whack to you. Okay, so you're once again, once again, Mr. Stamps, you're comparing. The pandemic stuff that's been going on. You're, you're, we're doing this again. We're going down this road. No, hold I, on. I, I don't think the pandemic has anything to do with it. Hold on. Wait. Listen. Here's my premise. I had an athlete that was competing at the Music City Distance Carnival. So, amidst the pandemic, they had 2,000 people around their facility, equally spaced, and they put a meet on. So, I just want to use that. And 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 what are we doing? Y'all have also seen what's the name of the title of the thing, Kyle? Uh, the big friendly. The big friendly and all of that kind of stuff. What are they doing right versus what are we doing wrong? So, my, go ahead. Now that you understand my premise, and then I'd like everybody to chime in. Um. Wow. Let's not the breakdown there. Um. Okay. And this is just my my hunch and my opinions, whatever the case may be. Okay. 
the one thing you can say to the common American when it comes down to, to track and field and running, the mile is the most, it's going to be the first thing that's going to come out of everybody's mouth. So it's a, it's the most recognizable distance in all of running. The mile in the the mile in the marathon probably goes one A one B, so um, you also got to remember that this, depending on who you ask, okay, depending on who you ask, there's four distance disciplines, four, the 3 k, five k, ten k. Depends who you ask. The eight hundred is a sprint, or it's mid distance, you know, whatever the case may be. So what is it that they're doing? It it they they. They attack a, a population that can relate. They 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 relate to the the average jogger, the average you know person who works on go for long runs. They they the average person can relate to that. That's not even a track and field person. They can just relate to that because that's what they do, you know. And then you're probably looking at, you know, let's be honest. How many people you see pull up in the 10k? I don't see nobody pull up in the 10k. I don't see people pull up in the 15. You know what I'm saying? So. You know, there's no real big risk in in one of those events. So I think that's why they can get that stuff off the ground. And it's, let's be honest, it's a cultural thing, you know, which goes back to what I said about, you know, the average person who goes out and jog in Central Park and jog in, in, in somewhere in L.A., whatever the case may be, they can relate to that. So they're going to flock to something like that that they can relate to. Let's be real. The average jogger is not going to, they, they can't relate to the 100 meters. They can't relate to the 200. They can't. You know what I'm saying? So I think that's, I think to me. Hold on, Stems. I want to get some of these. Well, okay. So, so for, for me, for me personally, I think that's worked in their favor as to why their meets have been successful. That's just an opinion. It, you know, it could be right or it could be wrong. Doesn't matter. I, that's just an opinion. I'm not saying it's factual. So I think that helps work. In their favor, I mean, because let's be honest, they're not doing anything any different than what the AP Ranch was doing, or what, or, or what um um they was doing down in Florida. It's no, it's no different. It's a, it's a relate the 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 distance. It's a relatable, it's a relatable thing to the average human being who works out. Okay, and I think that's where they can they can bring in the average person who don't need to know everything about. The, the specs about track and field and going, except oh, I can run too. I can, you know, whatever the case may be. So that's just my opinion. I could be wrong. It's okay. I'll be more than glad to whatever opinion y'all got. Y'all gonna throw my way. That's just um, my opinion. It looks like don't debate me on this. About to start early. So here's here's my take. I'll, I'll I'll give some free game first because I'm about to throw out some business opportunities for people. There's a company in Dallas, Texas, a former sprinter started it. I don't know the name of it, but they are making a killing uh, teaching average Joes, giving average Joes sprint workouts. That's number one. So if you and your local community is there are people that want to learn how to sprint. I have I have a client right now pays me fairly decent money each month because he simply wanted to learn how to sprint. So there are average people out there that just want to go fast. The average person, and Stams, you can attest to this, uh, there are a lot of average people that either like to drive fast cars, get on fast motorcycles, go to NASCAR races, gamble on horse racing, gamble on dog racing. They like to see people and things go really, really fast. Distance runners do this. 
Sprinters don't. They support each other, plain and simple. And we had Justin Gatlin on here way, way, way back. And I asked, I asked a simple question like, well, you know, do other sprinters, like, do they pass the torch? He said, nah, we don't do that. It's an ego thing. I don't, I don't think it's good or bad one way or the next, but from the simplest form of not even passing the torch to the next person, and we see that in other sports, we don't support each other. We are too tied up on, I'm going to get mine. However, I'm going to get mine. You get yours. Pandemic. It has to be, but it has to be because you no, getting paid it based not, on. It does not have to be. All right. I don't have to dim your light in order for me to shine. But they're not dimming each other's light. I mean, that's, that's the issue. It's not a dip, it's not a dimming of the light, dude. You do realize. May I, you do, may you do, okay, may you can't. But, but let me make sure I correct you here because I want you to finish. You can't correct me when I'm stating my opinion. That's what you can't do. Okay, that's fine. I don't state a fact. All right, but when I'm stating my opinion, I can't be corrected. All right, so without a pandemic, without a pandemic, what cross country does very well every single year, and I lived in the Pacific Northwest, they put on some of the best cross country meets ever because they support one another. The other thing that they do, cross country specifically, they operate on a specific time limit. You ain't gonna be out there all day. If the race start at 8.30, it's going to be over with at 9. I'm going to bring up another point. In the sprints, jumps community can do this. University of Tennessee did this back in 2011. We put on a sprint showcase. We put on a two-hour block meet. You had the premier events, 4x1, 200, 800, 400, 100 in a two-hour block. Long jump was going on, so was shot. Stadium was packed, all right? But see, what we won't do enough of is, well, at least we will. I come support Stamps. Me, I support Stamps as a coach. But see, us sprint, us in the sprint world, we think that what we're doing is so better than the next person or what we got is so much better than what they got. I'm not going to come over here and support what you have. I'm not going to get with you and put together this so we can make it bigger. The distance community, they get that. That's how they're able to put these things on, whether it's a pandemic going on or not. And they're going to keep rocking and rolling. And they're going to leave the rest of us in the dirt. And I'm going to bring up this last point with the NCAA because we work in the NCAA. They're going to mess around and they'll completely separate. And this is me speculating. They will mess around and completely separate distance and cross country from the sport and track and field because we may not have an indoor season this year. And I'm done. Okay, first off, right, you sound crazy. All right, so let's 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 hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. One, you're trying to compare the competitive field cross country. You realize a cross country course is about the size of a Grand Canyon, so you can hold 50 million teams out there in comparison to eight lanes. You do know that, right? That's why they can have a whole bunch of people. That's why they can have a whole bunch of teams out there, and they can start at eight thirty and then end at nine thirty. That's why, because it's one race. So that's irrelevant to what you just said. Okay. Next thing. I I when 73% of the head coaches are distance coaches, of course they're gonna stick together. Of course. 
Now, maybe if we can balance this out where, you know, maybe we go one-third field event coaches are head coaches, one-third sprint coaches are head coaches, one-third this is coaches are head coaches, then maybe we'll see a little bit more balance, a little bit more camaraderie amongst the entire track and field community. Okay. I've never had a problem with distance coaches and what they do. Listen, what they do, they running in the grass, singing Kumbaya, eating granola before they run. Listen, that's on them. Okay. That's cool. Whatever. All right. That's what they do. All right. At the end of, but at the end of the day, at the end of the day, you, you, you can't sit there and say that they put on a better show knowing that, know that they have the field, they have the, the, the courses to hold 30 teams and it can end at one time. All right, so the, it, it's a bad comparison. Everything else I kind of agree with you on, but the whole, nah, nah. And this, this other thing with spring coaches, listen, okay, spring coaches were egomaniacal. We know that, but don't no man fear, my, I, I fear no man. And if you're doing something great, good, I'm going to support you. All right, this this is not everybody. I just want to put that up there while you're talking. All right, I'm, 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 gonna, I'm going to support you, okay? I'm going to support everybody. Hey, listen, you run the fast, the cows, my guy. Anybody who follows me know I give everybody their props. I ain't telling them I know everybody because I can coach my ass off too. Excuse my French, people, okay? I can coach too. So don't nobody, and so I'm not intimidated by what the success that you're doing. I'm not going to come support your meat because I think you're going you're gonna to stomp a mud hole in my kids' butts and walk it dry. Nah. Nah, I'm gonna come. I'm still gonna come support. The meat's great. I'm gonna come support. So you know, yes, you get. Yes, you got those coaches with LP syndrome. Okay, that once again, you make me bring. You make me use the terminology again. There are some coaches out there like that, but the but to put everybody into that box, I don't agree with. All right, Stamps, you got it. I'm done. All right. If people would get out of there again, here's another thing that. Track coaches are consistently bad, or the track community is, is I believe, is 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 irrevocably bad at is is getting out of our own way. What Kyle just showcased was not only a blueprint, but you know something that the average fan can get a hold of. Like when I go to a college football game, as I think we we described this, like it is a whole day affair. So if you're kind of are wanting to create pageantry and the the tailgate sensation of feel like that's kind of like all the pre-fights like i don't know if any of you guys have ever been blessed to go to a, a heavyweight like title match i was very fortunate to go to vegas uh and, and watch uh, um one when i was coaching out of cal state la and you know the 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 main event ain't till 11 30 12 but from like maybe eight to 1130, you know, it's undercards. People are coming and going, people are gambling. You can come in, sit, watch a little bit, come out. And then as you got this crescendo getting ready to happen when, when the big dogs are coming. And if we would just get off of our behinds and operate a different kind of way and say, every meet has a different highlighted thing. And, and this, is, this is a point to what Kyle said Rally Relays, if you've ever been, is a premier distance meet. Like, that's the Stanford Invitational of the East Coast. Right. Right. And they've leveled up so much to where if your kid doesn't get accepted, I mean, and this may be just standard standard process and protocol, if your kid's not accepted any of the races, you don't get your money back. They don't put them in nothing else. Nope. 
You don't so, get not, not, not a penny back. So, so here's, here's where that falls. The better part of the day when all the other stuff on the track is happening, you know, it's, it's, it's more teams than it is like fans. But then when the distance carnival starts and you got, I sat there one year and watched six heats of the 5K. Women. Then turned around four heats of the men's 5K. All the teams were gone and the stands were packed. Right. So that was that, that little two and a half hours of 5Ks. They, they they came and did so. I don't I don't think that I don't think that we're as wrong as wrong uh, we're not as wrong in 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 what we're doing as much as we're so damn reluctant to change. Why not have a track meet? Think of any track meet that you go to. Hell, all of y'all, well, short of Alion, have been to our track meet here at ETSU, and. You know, it's it's uh, on day one on that Friday. You get here around seven thirty eight, and you're pretty much able to leave around four or five. Why not push a lot of that other stuff earlier on throughout the day? And you know, you came up here with some with some with some fire, with some heat, and then we have that same segment of 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 the stuff that people want to see. If you got good milers at your school, put the mile in that time block or whatever. But then you have a chance for people to get off of work. You have a chance for people to, or if it's not a Saturday, if it's a Friday meet, you know, you get the you get the chance opportunity because basketball games aren't happening at four o'clock on Friday. You know why? Because people are at work. When they when they have the games during the week, they're at seven. Manageable times that people can go home, eat dinner, put the kids in bed, or put the kids in the car and come. We do everything in in on purpose to make sure we have less people uh, plausible to come to a track meet. So what time So what time are you suggesting these track meets go off? Well, I would, I would say... So you don't do have these things called twilight meets, right? Hold on. Just ask me a question. Let me answer. I would say if you're going to do anything on Friday, start it after 5. If you're doing anything on Friday, more or less, if we're trying to increase increase things or just keep them to saturday sunday a lot of our meets are fridays friday saturday uh maybe you shift to saturday sunday to see what your attendance may or may not look like now and understand and if 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 friday is the undercard and that's less of a a, um a, a spectator day okay and then you got your whole saturday to really try to pack out your place but on that saturday you could totally, because then people still have Sunday to travel back to where they need to go to if they're coming from a far place. But you have a weekend day that people can dedicate their time, their resources to their inter- their entertainment consumption. Well, how about this, Stamps? We we have the expert on the call. Why don't we ask her <laughs> how it should be done? felt like I was watching TV. Can I suggest that you guys never do this together in one room? Always be in your own space far away. We're going down at the Aliana Pompeii Invitational 2021. No, I don't know. I might have to rescind that offer um, to the Sam's point that he just made. Um, if If we think about the original Melrose Games, right, that was that used to be a Friday evening 
after work, limited schedule, of course, ends with the Wonder Maker Mile. Everyone's, you know, um, there's sprint events, there's a couple of middle distance, there's hurdles, there, there's some of, of everything, right? And they would pack Madison Square Garden. You guys know how big Madison Square Garden is. Used to pack Madison Square Garden. Kids would be there, um, parents, people coming from school, people coming. It's in the middle of, um, you know, the business district. Um, people get off of work and they go go to the meet. Afterwards, you go out for a drink. You can, you can build something around that. The first couple of years that they have it, that they moved it to Saturday, it wasn't as high attended. Right. And and that could be for a number of reasons. It, it's different if you want to kind of unwind on a Friday um, evening versus Saturday when you want to sleep in. In terms of what the solution is for this, I honestly don't know. Like I, I, I know how to tailor my meat culturally to make it a success in Guyana. And I know how to figure out my meet at St. John's University so that it works to achieve what my goals would be, which would be to get high entry fees and get a lot of. Where, where are you? What 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 are you doing with your where? So do y'all do an indoor and an outdoor meet, or just like tell me about the meet that you with your meet director background and skill? How have you been able to bring that bring that into the program at St. John's? So we do have a, um, an indoor meet. We have a memorial meet for um, Bill, Bill Ward, which is our very first meet. And it's on a flat track, which usually it's on a flat track, um, which is great for us because it's a great conversion, right? A lot of teams are running that first meet. Not everybody is in the greatest shape, but some of us feel like the um, flat track to bank track conversion is, is generous. And so we get a lot of people that way. So the timing is pretty early for some people. It's right before um, the winter break, and it's not it's not as intense. We do get a lot of um, people for that reason. We have a couple. Uh, we open it up to junior colleges as well in the area. And then for our outdoor meets, we invite the clubs. And New York City has a pretty substantial club life. And so we include them in our competitions there. The other thing that we do for the St. John is we separate. So in the morning, the women and in the afternoon, the men. Um, New York City is a little bit segregated um, that way, not not in a bad way. And so that's worked really well for us. Um, you know, not everyone stays for the whole meet, but we get a ton of entries. Women come in, they do what they have to do, and they don't have to stay. For programs where you have single gender, it works out really, really good. Um, so we've been successful in doing it that way. Um, I want to Guyana, uh, and I'll just say this really quickly for the Guyana, we wouldn't have that kind of success if we have the distance races there. Right, um, and there's certain dances that would work in Guyana that wouldn't work there. We could literally, um, and the first thing they really, really wanted us to put a 30 minute break in there, and they were like, "No one will leave. We promise. More people might actually come." <laughs> um, so I think a lot of it is, is knowing about what what the sports mean to that particular community, and 
making it work. Some of the things that would work at St. John's wouldn't work in Guyana. It, def it definitely wouldn't work at ETSU. Um, and it, it, it's just really localizing it to your audience that you want to come out. Uh, so I just, I wanted to bring up one of these comments uh, from the chat and it's, <clears throat> and we kind of moved away from the point, but we'll get back to it. How do we fund money into the sport? So how do we fund more money into track and field to pop, to make it popular like a football, even though it's not viable? Are, are we talking, are we talking college or are we talking elite? It looks like it's more of a professional question. It came from Nate. Like, pro sports. Well, the lady can give her answer, but let me let, let me let me give you mine. Okay, you know how we get money back into the sport? Stop getting on that horse roid and stop having scaring people off. Because I'm telling you right now, that's what really caused the downfall of track and field. Every time you turn around, oh, he got popped with steroids. Oh, uh, the the the, the this person got popped with um high levels of testosterone. Oh. This person got popped with God knows what in his system, and slowly but surely. And I watched the the destruction of track and field because it happened in the mid two thousands. I started watch. I mean, it was bad in the eighties, even though we were all kids at the time. It's bad in the eighties. It was eh, in the nineties, but then that two thousands and into that two thousand round between two thousand and two thousand nine, it really got bad. So I think one, I think that's the main thing, man. We gotta. You know, we, we, we have to make sure that these sponsors, they're not giving their money to a bunch of people that's going to get popped and their name is on it. That's just my opinion. Um, I feel like it, it's a, I don't know if the question is meant internationally or if it's specific to the U.S., but one of the ways I think you can do that here in the U.S. is partnering more with like public facilities that have a track. So like, I don't know, New York Parks Grand Prix or, or something like that. So the city underwrites some of the costs um, and the sponsorship money can go specifically to the athletes versus the lead director trying to bring in everyone and covering the cost, including, including the fees for using that facility. Um, I think it frees up some money for the athletes, um, whether it's through prize money, just prize money or um, in appearance fees. But I, I think reevaluating some of the partnerships and making it um, more municipal in some way, if that makes sense, would help. Now, I agree with you there. And I want y'all to time, date, stamp this, because it's going to happen. Atlanta Track Club is going to have a series of premier track and field events here in Atlanta. It would have started in 2021. So I'm going to say because of the pandemic, it's probably been pushed back to maybe 22, 23. But be on the lookout just for that because there is a – we have – this city has several, but the one that I'm referring to is the old Olympic practice track. It was one of six, but it was the main Olympic practice track from 96 that all the athletes would be at before they got escorted to the actual stadium. Uh, Atlanta Track Club, re they reno resurfaced it, renovated it in 2017, uh, has been pouring like hundreds of thousands of dollars into it to get it up and running for uh, spectator events. 
So I just know this is one club that's going to be able to do it. Um, enjoy the state. We're trying to be a part of little plug, but just want to put that out there. Hmm. Well, I, I'll tell you what, we, we, we start talking about our, our track meets here at ETSU and we're, we're going to go, uh, a, I believe, uh, we're going to try to do all field events one day and all running events one day. Um, we're going to try to split it up that way per pandemic and try and do some things different than another meet. We're going to go all males one day and all females one day or what, you know, vice versa to, to try to, again, change some things up, create more space, but do some things differently. Cause if we just do women, women, we're not there all day. Same as with, with the guys per the team sizes that we, we have come in, we could, we could probably be in and out inside of four and a half hours um, with just the women going one day and the men going another day versus two nine or 10 hour days. Well, look, the conversation has been great. I do not mean to cut it short, but it's almost time for me to sing the ABCs until my daughter falls asleep. <laughs> but Lamont, before we get out of here, it is your time to shine. Don't debate me on this. What you got for us this week? You know what? I actually was going back and forth with everything that's going on, you know, um, rest in peace to the great Gale Sayers um, that passed away. Um, anybody who know me know I'm a wrestling fan. So Road Warrior Hawk passed away too. His son played for Ohio State and played for the um the St. Louis Rams. So you know, you know, you know, God bless the dead and you know, watch over their family throughout this time. Um my don't debate me is pretty much a dear a dear NCA letter. Um dear NCAA Division One, because it's Came out in Division One. Um, um, what the hell are you thinking? So we're just gonna run the cross country championships two days after the NCAA indoor championships. So let me get this straight, right? So if and this is just me, because we don't have the whole detail of everything. Um, one, um, because I'm kind of confused. So the teams that's running in the fall is that like an exhibition? And then they take the rest of the time off and then they just go to the championships or are they supposed to run a second cross country season come January? Oh, by the way, um, all the teams above the Mason Dixon line is negative 40 degrees. So you're going to run in You're going to get these kids hypothermia, frostbite, the flu and the Rona all at the same damn time. OK, that makes no damn sense, but whatever. So but let's get back to the team concept here. So. The sprinters and jumpers and throwers are going to carry the indoor season by themselves? Is that what we're asking? Because, you know, I'm not exactly the brightest crayon in the Crayola box, but I know for a fact that we're not running the indoor championship and then getting on a plane to go run a, a, a national championship. And where's the national championship going to be held? Terre Haute? Louisville? Where? North Dakota, like where's going to be held? I'm I'm curious to see how this is going to play out and who approved this. Like, why is it so hard for y'all to say, you know what? You don't have cross country this year. Get over it. You got outdoor and you got indoor. So the other part of this, are we canceling indoors together? So the sprinters, jumpers, and throwers, not only did they get their outdoors taken from them, but you're going to have them get their indoors taken from them as well. 
Is that what we're doing? Just so a cross-country season can happen? Please, uh, explain this to me. It makes no sense to me, okay? I've been sitting here trying to grasp at this whole notion that this that they're going to run the cross-country championship March 15th, two days after the NCAA indoor championships. So what's the plan? Where's the leadership? Y'all just putting out statements, and you got everybody out here twiddling their thumbs. Their division two, don't you even dare adopt that rule. If there's one time where we need y'all not to do what D1 does, now is the time, okay? Now is the time, okay? The distance runners, they got outdoors. They have a season. They have one. They got three seasons in the academic year. The sprinters, jumpers, and throws only got two. And you're gonna, and, and pretty much if it goes away that I'm hearing, you're going to take away their season and wrap it around the pandemic. Okay, I'm not going to argue with that because that could put, that could be the case. And, you know, not too many people are going to fight that. I get it. But to run cross-country in the fall, then come back and run it again in the spring, I'm, I'm, and, then, and then to top it off, they got to run an outdoor season and come back and run cross country again in the fall of 2021. What sense does that make? What are y'all smoking over there? I need to know. Like, like who did who did you get your work from? Corrupt Snoop? Who did you get it from? It makes no sense. Y'all just need to shut it down. If you're gonna shut down cross country, shut it down. If you're gonna shut down indoor, shut it down. But don't do one. Don't do one for one for for one area and and neglect. 78% of the damn NCAA championship meet, okay? Oh, and, and the vast majority of, of most track teams. So, once again, y'all know y'all know what it is. Don't debate me. Don't at me. You come for the king, you best not miss. Yeah. So, Lamont, I just want to add, it's not, a, it's not a debate at all, but because we just ran our first cross-country meet last week, and we, we have two young ladies that could possibly qualify as individuals. And our conference championship is October 31st on Halloween. So we're trying to wrap our head around how we're going to approach the rest of the fall. Should they like should they qualify? Like, should they run fast enough? And we think they're going to be in a pretty good standing for that to carry out for those times to carry over to the spring. We're trying to wrap our head around it now because we're like, we're not going to have them do a double season. You know, we're not going to continue that mileage through the spring and we're also not going to eliminate them having the opportunity to represent themselves in the institution at the NCAA meet. So it's definitely a headache. Uh, but man, we in it and I, we across that bridge. I'm, 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 I'm so, I'm so lost by, by this whole thing where everyone just feel that this has to happen. And, you know, like, like, I, I don't get I don't get it. Someone tried to explain it to me, and I understand the whole thing, the team, and oh, it's an ultimate team thing. You know, Sprinters got their relays, this and the third. Oh, okay, but that's just the setup of track and field. Okay, if you want to relay in there for your middle and long distance run, then won't you put a petition in and say, hey, we would like a four by mile or or a four by eight, bring the four by eight back to the NCAA championships like how it used to be. Okay, then you go from there. You got the DMR, whatever it is, whatever you need to do to fulfill that 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 unilateral dream of, of running in the grassy knolls and 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 running through the poison ivy uh uh grass uh, and all that stuff. If that's what y'all want to do, then just say it. You know, like like. But to me, putting these kids in in that kind of situation where they got to run in January, 
Like, you do know that it's winter time. I've never seen summer in January unless you're down in Miami, unless you're down in Florida, okay? It's usually cold up in Ohio and North Dakota and Minnesota where it's cold 13 months out of the year, okay? No. It might be exactly what they do. So even though Kyle didn't debate you, I, I'm going to debate you. The it's writing up. is on the wall. Yeah. The writing is. is on the wall. It is. When you've just seen the Big Ten walk back their statement. You just saw the Big the Pac-12 into October. We're going to get this thing done. They will find a way to get it done. I think we are going to have indoor track. I'm not pressed about us not having it. How it's going to be presented, right. how it's going to be done. Is going to be the question. You know, some facilities are going to have to open up their doors to have teams come in to be mm-hmm. able to clean it out. We'll, we'll work that out later. But the NCAA is showing their face right now. I am, They're going I am, to do what they need to do. I am thoroughly concerned about the well being of, honestly, like I'm not a distance hater. I can't be. I'm a head coach. I can't. I don't have that luxury that assistant coaches have. Okay. I have to look at this thing from a, from, from a, a larger scope. I'm looking at the health of these distance runners running in jam. Dude, cold, negative degree temperatures? Lamont. A pandemic? Like, I hear what you're saying. Like, to me, I hear what you're saying, but the reason I'm not listening is because they are showing you their cards right now. You know, the who? I don't know who said it, but they said when somebody reveals themselves, believe them. My Angelou, man. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so, so, Worry less about the, the risk that they're putting people at because they don't care. Because if they did, somebody yeah, would have they think about that is we're going into an Olympic year too. And I, I, I mean, right, but it kind of affects their training if we're look, talking about distance athletes that are trying to qualify for the game. Thank you. Thank you. I didn't even take that into consideration. Roses time, because we need some some happy, happy, joy, joy right now. All right, so let's get out these roses. So this is our time of the show. Anybody that you, you know, you want to give thanks to or salute that may not always get their praise, uh, now is your time. Uh, I'll start. I'll start. And we'll close out with our guests, and then we'll close this thing out. She's almost asleep over there. So, yeah. and I wouldn't start on purpose. So this is for I'm giving my roses to all black women today. Uh, it's no secret uh, what happened in the month. I know you're going to speak on it. But just for you, coach, what you've been able to accomplish and be a Jane of all trades and skills of sorts. Um, you're not a unicorn. There are so many others like you, whether it be mothers, daughters, sisters, aunts, athletes. Um, y'all are special. Y'all are very special. And my one of my many roles, one of my many priorities is I have to protect you. We have to protect y'all. So I definitely hand my roses out to all the black women across the globe uh, today. All right, Lamonta Stamps, who's up next? I'll, I'll go because uh, I know Lamont will go. Um, I, I would like to give my roses <laughs> The person that's in the bottom right of the screen. Um, uh, And and I'm going to kind of do it a different way that she didn't anticipate or expect, but it's long overdue. And I I feel like 
with our massive fan base, it, it, it is appropriate for me. Uh, about two years ago, I hurt her in a way that oh, I, I and expected. Shut up, Lamont. I was there. <laughs> that that didn't have no rhyme, didn't have no reason, and I owe her an apology. I apologize to her then, and I'm apologizing to her again now because the fact that we're back on good terms is just a testament to our friendship. And I will never, you know, put her in that position again. Um, she means the world to me. Um, you know, we've 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 overcome greater things. But when I think about, you know, Aliana, I used to I used to call her biscuit or coconut, and there's these rampant amounts of um, like disrespectful jabs that we trade back and forth just on the daily basis. But that's just how me and her love on each other, man, and, and value our friendship. And, you know, um, I forgot that two years ago um, when, when, when I made the massive mistake. So just, I thank you for allowing me access to your life being, um, uh, able to still be your friend and be able to call you one of my best friends. And I love you. You're, 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 you're truly one of the angels on earth. And I give my roses to Alian Kumari. <laughs> her real friend. You know that, uh, Pompey. Look at you being all sensitive. <laughs> All right, so first and foremost, let me give a shout out to Ghost Peak. For any of y'all who've never had this uh, iced tea, this is the main blueberry, okay? <laughs> Trust me on this one. Yo, 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 thank me later. Um, I'm going to give my roses out to every current and alumni of the University of Minnesota's track and field program. My first glimpse of the University of Minnesota's men's track and field program, I will never forget. They had a great team of 400-meter runners, but the two that stood out the most was Allen, uh, was, Ad, was Adam Steele and Mitch Potter. Me and Mitch Potter developed a friendship over the years, and, you know, he and I, you know, good friends, whatever the case may be. As y'all all know, the University of Minnesota right now is planning on cutting their men's track and field program. Um, I got word that there's going to be an emergency hearing on October 9th and 10th um, to try to save their program. Um, you heard it here first, breaking news. Um I want to give y'all a little story. There was a, I believe it was either 2002, 2003, it's Texas Relays. And the University of Minnesota goes down there. Now, mind you, this is, I think this is before Jeremy, I think it's Jeremy Warner's freshman year. And the University of Minnesota, four white guys, they walk into the locker, they in the invite four by four. And you heard hecklers. Oh, uh, those white boys can't run against them brothers. This and the third, blah, blah, blah. And I remember looking at Mitch's face and Mitch had this look in his face. Like if I get this stick behind or in front, you're going to see a problem. The University of Minnesota, four guys for me, Jacob Jacobson. Um, I forgot the other young man's name. Um, I'm sorry. Jacobson, the 400 hurdler. Yeah, he was the 400 hurdler. And then there was a, 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 a 20.6 sprinter. And then there was Adam Steele, they two stars, Adam Steele and Mitch Potter. When they ran 301, 302, and they crossed the line, 
I never heard 18,000 people come to a hush. This is the impact that the University of Minnesota had on track and field, their men's programs. Mitch Potter was walking back to his stuff, and he was like, and he looked in the stands. I never forget. He said, "So what y'all think? White guys can't run either. We can run. Hope y'all hope y'all like the show. Have a good trip. Have a safe trip back. <laughs> you know." And it was it it was so refreshing to see that type of that that type of energy from the from from that university. And now when you sit back and think about what's on the verge of possibly happening, it makes you go back and reminisce about their um. Uh, about their run, some of the greats that came through there. And so, you know, I really hope that the meeting, that the emergency meeting that they have on October 9th and 10th come to fruition and they save that program because the University of Minnesota has had a long history, great Big Ten competitors. They win Big Ten titles. They produce some great athletes. I mean, hell, Mitch Mitch and Adam was on the 2003 World Championship team, you know, so, and Jacobson ran for Sweden. So, you know, my roses goes to my guys at the University of Minnesota, the current staff there, the men's program and the women's program because they are being affected by that as well. So I give my roses to the Big Ten, to, to the Big Ten's uh, University of Minnesota. All right, Coach P, bring right, us home. Firstly, thank you guys for having me. And Stamps, again, um, I accept your apology. Sometimes I still want to fight you, though. Um the person that I'm going to give my roses to actually, um, and I'll preface this by saying it's been a really hectic week for me. I haven't had a moment to sit down and really absorb anything or look at any news or really be in touch with what's going on. But the person that I will give my roses to, and I don't think I have to say why, is Brianna Taylor. I won't you, you know what? I think everybody on here wants to give an extra rose to yeah. all the all the black women that has fell victim to to senseless violence, whether it was justified. See, I'm doing the air quotations, justified or not. Um, we all have sisters. We have we have a mother. We have grandparents. We have nieces. We, we, you know, we got female athletes. You know, I, I, I dread getting that phone call and Coach Stamps and yourself and Coach Kyle. You know, we, we all dread to get that phone call, especially me and Coach Kyle, because we're head coaches. You know, so you know that's the first number they gonna call. You know, so you know, with these cops not seeing no time, um, I want to tell all my all all the women in my life, especially all the black women, that we love you. And we're gonna protect you. We are gonna protect her. And that's and and that shirt right there that that cow has on speaks for itself. We are gonna protect her. And as long as I'm as long as it's air in my lungs, and nothing's ever gonna happen to a black woman around my watch, ever. Coaches, what coaches, friends, family, nothing will ever happen to you as long as I'm around. We love y'all. And that's how we're going to end the show. This has been Track Chat with the most known unknowns. Coach P, thank you so much for joining us this week. Uh, we got another special guest coming next week, Nia Ali, so make sure y'all tune in. Ooh. But I am Coach Kyle. Got Megatron, Lamont Johnson, and my boy, the alchemist himself, Coach Stamps. I love y'all. Y'all have a good evening. Track Chat, we out. <laughs>